The Old Testament reading is Psalm 25, verses 1 through 10, um, and it's on page 549 in New Pew Bibles. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior, and hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful towards those who keep the demands of his government. This is the word of the Lord. And the New Testament reading is Colossians 1, 1 through 14. That is found on page 1182 in the Pew Bibles. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up in you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Good morning again. Um, you know, after being at that restorative justice training, I'm like tempted to just, I'm just going to stand up here and talk to you about that for a while. Uh, my, the lectionary did not allow that for me this week. 
Anyway, um, our passage this morning, which you just heard, uh, coming from the beginning of Paul's letter to the Colossians, actually, I think, helped me to uh, catch a glimpse of the life of the early church. I don't know what it is about, I don't know, having had the Bible or having these letters collected in a, you know, one book, but for some reason, I don't read them like they're letters from real people to real people. Um, But this week... It's like I broke through that like fog that covers it. Um, I think it was because of Paul's gratitude that helped me to, to see it as, as real life. Um, so our text is just the beginning of a letter from Paul and Timothy to a church. Probably not that different from our church. And you can see that it's a letter from the way that it begins. I'm sure most of you know this, but that's like the standard beginning of an ancient Near Eastern letter where we might write the date in the top and, you know, dear so-and-so and sign our names at the bottom. A letter in the ancient Near East began this way with who it is from, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to Timothy and Timothy, our brother, and then who it's to, to God's holy people in Colossae, and then a greeting, grace and peace to you from God our Father, um, and then Paul often includes a, like a thanksgiving in this part of his text. Sometimes he leaves it out, and that is worth noting when he's not super thankful for a community. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but here, it's sort of overflowing, and it lasts for a while. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all people. Um, Paul's never met the Colossian Christians but he's writing a letter to them anyways because he has heard about their lives together. Epaphras told him. Um, I just love the like, I don't know why this feels real for me. Like Epaphras, this guy was like, hey, did you hear about the Colossian church? They're kind of amazing. Look at what they're doing. Um, He had started, Epaphras had started the church in Colossae. But, um, and he told Paul about how they love each other. And in the way that the Colossians are living out their faith together, Paul sees signs of the new creation taking root. And he's just so grateful for it. Um, I like to read this, uh, this magazine called Plow. Um, it's from an intentional Christian community called Bruderhof. Uh, and they put out a magazine four times a year that I love so much. Uh, their Christianity looks very different from mine. Uh, but it's beautiful, and their magazine is really beautiful. And in the beginning, kind of near the front, they always have some little updates from, uh, they say like friends throughout the world, um, friends of their community. And I usually skip that part in like the banner, <laughs> when I read the banner, but, uh, but in this, in Plow, for whatever reason, it is always so encouraging. And it's rarely big things. It's not like this international global ministry. It's small stuff. It's a small community doing their best to live out their faith in their context. Um, It is just so good to know that these little pockets of faithfulness exist. I often think like, wow, I am so glad that that is happening, that those people are living out their faith in that way. Um, I remember reading one about a Bruderhof community in Australia uh, that was trying, because of their faith, to rehabilitate the land that they 
that they had. They had a bunch of acres of farmland and they used to rent it out and then they were like, actually, maybe we should do something with this. Um, they live in a particularly drought-stricken part of Australia. And over the years, as they have worked on kind of, there was agribusiness basically for years and years and years before them um, that had just decimated the land. And so over the years, they've worked with vegetation and different like rotating their animals around and all sorts of things to try and heal it. And they can do things like there's a creek that runs through their space and they can measure how much water comes into the land through the creek and how much water leaves the land through the creek. And because of the work that they have done, less water, like there's less water coming in than there is leaving. Uh, in this drought-stricken land, their land is giving water to the creek. Like, they're blessing people downstream because their soil can hold water and give it. Isn't that kind of amazing? And doesn't it sound like the gospel? Um, I read one uh, yesterday about a place in Colorado that welcomes immigrants after they've been released from a nearby detention center. Um, a woman lived across the street from a detention center, uh, and she had had an experience at the um, Mexican border that just changed her, and she started welcoming people into her two-bedroom apartment to help them get their feet set after they got released from the detention center. And then she raised money to get a bigger house so that she could do this more. So she has a house in the suburbs, 15 minutes away from the detention center, and they just bring people in. They, do, they give away bus tickets and plane tickets, and they give meals and shelter for as long as people need to be able to get into their next thing. They help pe reunite people with their families. And they work really hard to make it homey there uh, because they say the detention centers are so sterile and cold. They, sa they said, many guests have walked into our home, stopped and looked around and said something to the effect of, I feel the love that is in this place. I read another one about a small community in Brazil. It's just 11 people. They talked about how, in their context, things are going downhill. Uh, there's a resurgence of neo-Nazi groups and the KKK. There's been racial violence and all that alongside uh, government corruption and a devastating and growing disparity between the rich and poor. Lots of new millionaires, while uh, over half the population lives with food insecurity. Um, and this community, they work and live among the poor. They have a bakery, and they do urban farming and education. They have a vision for all the things that they would like to do. Um, and actually, their letter that they wrote reminded me of our text today. It said, sometimes we feel horrified. Sometimes we check out plans B, C, and D, depending on the developments of the political turmoil and craziness. But wherever the Lord decides to plant us, we are committing to, committed to bearing the best fruit possible in any situation, in any place, knowing our home is set in the future and our loyalty belongs to our King. They do small stuff, right? Like they go to protests. They join the Food Advocacy Committee so that they could impact food policy. Um, but it is so hopeful to hear that this community of faith exists and is working for the good of the people around them. Like, I read these stories and they give me hope because a lot of Christianity looks really ugly and particularly the loudest voices sometimes are the most discouraging.
but there are also people whose commitment to the gospel means that their lives are bearing the fruit that's talked about in the text. Faith and love springing out of the hope of the gospel. And of course, that doesn't just have to come, these stories don't just come from like my magazine. <laughs> uh, I just got an email last week from one of our missionaries and I didn't know much about what she did and I'm gonna mispronounce her name because I forgot to check before I came up here. Uh, Margaret Njaguna, did I get it, sorta? I'm getting like, eh, nice try. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I mean maybe, I don't know, if, like I didn't know much about it so maybe lots of you don't, but she has a home in Kenya and I don't know if things have changed there, but when things started, um, the practice when a child was born with disability was to lay them by the side of the road to die. Um, and because of her faith in Jesus, she started picking up these babies. And uh, yeah, she rescues children and raises them. And they have a home. Uh, I don't know how many kids live there. The pictures, there's a bunch. Um, and she talked about the struggles of getting medical care and corrective surgery and getting walkers and wheelchairs. Um, and she talked about in this letter how they were accepting volunteers, but not just any volunteers, because sometimes you know that it's like any white volunteer, which is so, can be so destructive to children especially. Um, she said, we're accepting volunteers in the fields of special education, phys physio and occupational therapy and nursing. And I was just like, oh, I'm so grateful that you're being so careful with the lives of these children. Um, I'm so grateful that this work is happening. And the pictures, like, it was just so clear that the kids were loved. Um, Paul's overflowing gratitude in this text made me think that for him, uh, the Colossian church must have been one of those glimpses of the kingdom. A thing of beauty, you know, hidden in plain sight, as small as a mustard seed, and a reminder that seeds of the kingdom have been planted all over the world. They are nothing less, Paul says, than harbingers of the new creation. The gospel has been bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, he says, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Now, those words, bearing fruit and growing, are um, a subtle allusion to Genesis. Be fruitful and multiply, God said to the first humans in the first creation. Everything was good and God wanted to see it flourish. Be fruitful. And of course, it wasn't long before that creation was distorted with sin and murder and deceit and envy and hatred and all of that came onto the scene. But in Jesus, the new creation has come. And now there's a new kind of fruit to bear, the fruit of faith and of hope and of love. In the verses um, just following our passage, Paul will kind of step back and his vision will stretch wide to the whole of the cosmos. And he will remind believers that through Jesus, this it was through Jesus that this first creation came to be and also that Jesus is the firstborn of the new creation. That he is reconciling all things to himself, putting back together all the broken pieces. But first, he points just to the small Colossian church. 
and their part in that reconciling of all things. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing among them as it is all over the world and it is a sign of the things to come. That garden city that we read about in Revelation where Jesus reigns and shalom, that peace in all directions with God and with one another, within ourselves and with the rest of creation, shalom pervades. The love of the Colossian church is like a little shoot of greenery a seedling of the kingdom of God. Um, I talked about that training that I was at this week, and I, um, while I was there, I watched a little a video from a school that uses restorative practices regularly, and they talked about how this work of peace has impacted the lives of their um, students, that the, the life, the community of their school is different because of the way they use it. Um, the students carry around little cards in their pockets with the restorative justice questions on them so that they can um, resolve a conflict if it comes up just as they're walking the halls or whatever. Um, one teacher said, in that moment that it takes for a kid to fish the card out of their pocket, it's just a, it's just a second for them to breathe before they react. And for whatever reason that struck me, that second that moment of pulling the card out of their pocket in search of peace, that's where it has to start. Peace cannot be in the halls of government. It cannot be in diplomatic solutions on a global scale before it is there, in a breath, in a moment, in a kid with a card, looking to do something different. And that's how Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. It's small, it's a treasure buried in a field. It's a mustard seed. It's a lost sheep that's been rescued. It is a small and striking community in Colossae, or in Brazil, or in Colorado, or in Australia, or in Kenya, or maybe in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Small and hidden and the beginning of something new. It is a seed planted deep and springing up with new life, growing and strengthening until the fruit weighs heavy on the branches. Still just one plant, maybe, but ripe with possibility and one of many. So Paul writes this letter and he prays for the Colossians because he wants to help tend the growth and that 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 good fruit might continue to ripen and mature in every good work, he says. That their roots would deepen as they know God more. That they would be strong for the long haul because love is really beautiful, but in a broken world, it can be extremely difficult and often acutely painful. And it can wither and turn sour if we are not careful. The Colossians will need endurance for tough circumstances and patience for tough people. But they have the power of the Spirit in them if they will continue to hang on and continue to return to that power in them. And Paul prays for them that in all of it they would not forget their joy, right? Letting it bubble up in thanks when they remember their hope. 
that this world, no matter how hopeless things may look, no matter how hard it gets, this world is in the hands of the one who planted those first trees in the first garden. And who, when it seemed like everything was lost, did not give up and will not. He prays that they might have joy when they remember that they are not the only bit of growth out there, but that Paul and Epaphras and the communities of faith all over the world who have come to truly understand God's grace, that they too are bursting forth, bearing the fruit of the new creation. Maybe they seem small, only wispy little twigs. I bet they especially seem small to them when it looks like having a tough conversation, maybe finding a wheelchair for a kid, planting a new plant by a stream. It seems so small, the work. But they are the signs of the things to come. Someday, somehow, we will find ourselves no longer just among the seedlings, but in a new creation, the garden city, the new heaven and the new earth that we read about in Revelation 22, where the river of life flows from the throne of God, and on every side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. These small works, these seedlings of the kingdom, friends, you are a part of that. And your Lord is faithful and good to complete what he has begun. Please pray with me. Lord God, may we have the courage to do a small thing and to know, too, that it is part of your bigger thing. Lord, may our hope and our persistence be grounded in you, that we are not working along, but are alone, but are working um, empowered by your Spirit, and alongside um, so many other communities who maybe don't speak up, but who are present. Lord, may we catch glimpses of your kingdom here at Sherman Street and all over the world. In Jesus' name, amen.